coming to you live from the basement of an abandoned house in the middle of a field. It's the Derek Izzy Show. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. You are listening to The Derek Izzy Show. I am your host, the official Mr. Izzy, and welcome. Today's show is brought to you by Onnit. If you have no idea who Onnit is, you came to the right place. Onnit is the number one company in sports supplements. Not only supplements, but they do everything related to sports nutrition, weightlifting, protein shakes, The item that I get all the time are their Warrior Bars. It's kind of like a Slim Jim, except it's healthier. It's buffalo meat. They put cranberries in it and a a pepper blend. And they're just amazing. I buy them by the case and usually eat one a day. 14 grams of protein in one Warrior Bar. Buffalo meat, good for you. They've got a ton of other products. If you want to take advantage of the Derek Izzy Show special with Onnit, All you have to do is click on the banner on the Derek Izzy Show webpage. That's DerekIzzy.com, D-E-R-E-K-I-Z-Z-I.com. Click on the Onnit banner. That will get you 10% off anything you place an order for. And it's not just a one-time deal. You can go to the Derek Izzy Show every time. Click on that link and you will get 10% off your order. Next week, if you want to place another order, go through that banner. You'll get 10% off that order. What's the importance of doing this? Well, it helps support the show. It goes two ways. Every time one of my listeners purchases from Onnit using my banner, the show gets a little kickback. This way, everyone wins. Clicking through the banner, we get the kickback, you get 10% off, and you get some wonderful nutritional products from Onnit. And now, the topic of today's podcast. She was born in Norway in 1859. The daughter of a stonemason, she was not happy with her current lot in life. In 1881, she decided to leave Norway and head to the United States in search of wealth. Her methods of achieving wealth were fairly questionable as you're about to find out. The topic of today's podcast had a nickname, Lady Bluebeard. I'm sure you've heard of the legendary Bluebeard from French folklore. Bluebeard was a man who had been married several times, but no one knew what had happened to his previous wives. When he would take a new wife, she would discover the murdered bodies of the old wives that he had hidden in a small room. It's that kind of fantasy and folklore that has been brought to real life in today's podcast. In 1884, she married Mads Albert Sorensen. They had a small shop that they ran 
and a small, modest home. One day, the home and the store burnt down. The couple claimed the insurance money, which happened to be a large sum of money, because the store and the home were very, very well insured. This, from what I've been able to figure out, was the beginning of the life of crime for the topic of today's podcast. Soon after, the husband of the couple died of heart failure. What's the big deal? Men die of heart failure all the time. But the strange thing surrounding his heart failure was that it happened on the only day where his two life insurance policies overlapped. This raised a red flag with the husband's family. They demanded an inquiry into the death of their loved one, but no charges were filed. The topic of today's podcast was now a wealthy woman. So following the wealth of insurance money Our Lady Bluebeard collected, she decided to remarry. She met a local butcher named Peter Gunnis. In 1902, they decided to get married. One week after being married, Peter's infant daughter died while Our Lady Bluebeard was watching her. Less than a year later, a sausage grinder allegedly fell on him, injuring him and leading to his death. This was her second husband to die. Before she could collect the insurance money this time, the coroner investigated the case for murder. The coroner alleged that Peter had symptoms of strychnine poisoning. During the inquiry, the wife was very upset. She was in mourning. She was shocked at the tragic death of her husband. To her, it was not suspicious at all. He was a butcher. He always handled grinders and heavy equipment, so an accident involving a piece of that heavy equipment would be something that is not out of the ordinary. And she was so strucken by the death of her husband that the insurance company paid out. At the time, nobody wanted to confront this grieving widow, who was also pregnant. In 1903, she gave birth to a son. Her short-lived marriage to Peter took place in a small town in Indiana called Laporte. Legends of the topic of today's podcast are still told in the town of Laporte, Indiana. Residents of this small town know the legend, and they know the area. What they don't know is what happened to the topic of today's podcast. After losing her second husband, she placed an ad in the newspaper. The ad said, Wanted a woman who owns a beautifully located and valuable farm in first-class condition, wants a good and reliable man as partner in the same. Some little cash is required, for which will be furnished first-class security. Many men answered these ads, and they traveled to Laporte to meet her. As these men traveled, the idea was to impress her. Most of the suitors brought large sums of cash to show that they could be a good provider and an asset to her and her family. And you know how men are. There's an eligible woman. Men are always out there trying to impress her. That's just how guys are. They want to show that they can be the alpha male and the provider for the family. When these men came with their money in the hopes of showing our farm girl that they can handle life on the farm, 
and to help secure her financial future. She was more than willing to accept the money and bring them into her home. One man traveled from North Dakota the whole way to meet her. He emptied out his entire bank account before his journey, his long journey that would lead him to a house at the end of McClung Road in LaPorte, Indiana, was a journey the town would never forget, for this was the last anyone ever heard of him. Months later, his brother Azel set out to find him. Azel wrote letters to our farm girl, who had claimed that the brother Andrew had never shown up. She had no idea what had happened to him, but she was more than willing to help Azel look for his long-lost brother provided that he would pay her to assist in the search. While all this was going on, there was a farmhand who assisted with the daily chores and helped out around the house. His name was Ray Lampier. From the evidence that we found, it looks like he was deeply in love with our farm girl, and he was very jealous of the men who came in the hopes of becoming a suitor. In May of 1907, old Budsberg of Wisconsin vanished on his way to see our farm girl. Thomas Linbo left Chicago, gone to work as a hired man, never to return. Henry Gerholt from Wisconsin. He left with the idea that he was going to marry her. He took his life savings of $1,500 with him, never to be seen again. John Moe from Minnesota another suitor who left planning to wed the topic of our podcast, never to be heard from again. Olaf Lindblom, age 35, also from Wisconsin, left to the farm, never to be heard from again. William Mingay, a coachman from New York City, left New York City in 1904, headed to the farm, never to be heard from again. Charles Edmond, from New Carlisle, Indiana, same story. John McJunkin, Olaf Jensen, Bert Chase. The list of names goes on and on and on. Men from all over the United States, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Missouri, Illinois, Minnesota, South Dakota, North Dakota, Kansas, Ohio. All of these people made great journeys to meet the one and only Belle Gunnis. She is the topic of today's podcast. Now, what happened to these men and a few women when they arrived at the Gunnis Farm? We're not exactly sure, but here's what we do know. During the early morning hours on April 28, 1908, a fire ravaged through the Gunnis Farmhouse. When the embers cooled, the local authorities moved in. They discovered some bodies. There was a headless woman. At the time, they believed that was Belle Gunnis. The other bodies were believed to be those of her three children. The first impression the authorities got was that the former farmhand, Ray Lampier, had set the fire and murdered Belle Gunnis and her three children. But after further investigation, the headless body of the woman may not have been Belle Gunnis. As they continued to dig through the rubbish, they looked where Belle had her hog pen. One of the men who was digging through the hog pen was Azel, the brother of Andrew who depleted his life savings to come to the farm. 
and sure enough, Azel was able to discover his brother's body. As the authorities dug through the ground, they found the remains of somewhere between 20 and 40 men, all believed to be murdered by Bell Gunnis. Bell's dentist said that if someone could find the head from the female's body or find the dentures, he could positively identify her by examining her teeth. Investigators found some human teeth, porcelain teeth, and a gold crown. The dentist identified them as the property of Bell Gunnis. Therefore, the headless woman who had died in the fire was probably Bell Gunnis. Now, the actual dimensions of her were said to be anywhere between 5'6 and 5'8, 200, 250 pounds. But the headless woman was only around 150 pounds. But at the time, everyone believed the dentist and they took his word for it that that was Bell Gunnis. Authorities arrested Ray Lampier. He was convicted of arson, but he was never convicted of any murders. Finally, in January of 1910, when Ray was on his deathbed, he confessed to a clergyman. He claimed that he had never killed anyone, but he did help Bell dispose of the bodies, and that Bell had escaped the fire and was on the run. He said that when a man would answer the ad and come to the farm to meet Bell, she would invite them to dinner. During dinner, she would either drug them or hit them over the head with a meat cleaver or possibly poison their food with strychnine. Bell would then dismember the corpse and either feed the remains to the hogs or just bury the body parts near the hog pen. Ray had also claimed that they traveled to Chicago a few days before the fire to find a body double for Bell. They brought back a woman under false pretenses that she was going to be hired as a housekeeper and that was the headless woman found at the Gunnis farm after the fire. The investigators thought they had come to a sound conclusion that Bell had died in the fire. Not everyone believed this. In 1931, a woman named Esther Carlson, who looked a lot like Bell, was in Los Angeles, California, awaiting trial that she had poisoned a man in an effort to get his money. The theory was that she's the same age as Bell would have been. She killed this man in the same way that Bell did, and there were no census records of her. This Esther Carlson died before she could get to trial. In an effort to find out if Esther Carlson was Bell Gunnis, a research team decided to exhume the bodies and do DNA testing to find out who was really buried in Bell Gunnis's grave. The family of one of Bell's victims gave the research team an envelope that was sent from Bell to one of her suitors. They believed that since the envelope was opened with a letter opener, remnants of her saliva would still be on the envelope flat, and they could take DNA and compare that DNA to the remains in Bell's coffin. Unfortunately, they could not get a viable sample from the envelope. So as of right now, there is no conclusive evidence that Esther Carlson was actually Bell Gunnis. There's other evidence out there 
that says she wasn't Belle Gunnis? While we may not know exactly what happened to Belle Gunnis, conclusive evidence would show that she's actually dead regardless of whether she was Esther Carlson or whether she was actually the headless woman that was found in the fire at the Gunnis farm. I'm sure someday we will have DNA evidence to conclusively prove one way or the other, but I invite you to consider a third possibility, that perhaps she was not the headless body found in the fire, and perhaps she was not Esther Carlson, that she disappeared into obscurity, fled from Indiana going to another location, perhaps continuing to murder people and collect on insurance claims, or perhaps she met her fate before doing any more damage. We may never know what happened to Belle Gunnis, but we do know the aftermath that she left. This has been The Derek Izzy Show. Good day.